Hello? Taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don. I oh, I'm li- this this I am listening to this song. This is such this is such a good song. Thank you. It is. It is a good song. It's it's so it's so Randy Bachman. I uh, hold on. Let me. It's a little distracting. I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't uh, listen to you and this song and sing all at the same time. So we. You have to do one thing at a time. We can't do all these things together. You know, I. I did not realize uh, that uh, the line. I always thought the lyric was, "If it were as easy as fission, like because I'm a scientist, <laughs> right? That's not what the line is. The line is, "If it were easy as fission." Yeah, fission. As in. Catching fish. Catching fish. Not, not vision uh, like, uh, you know, atoms. So. Oh, my gosh. This is – that's hilarious. I love that that maybe Randy Bachman might have been doing fission. Like, <laughs> if it were as easy as fusion, uh, <laughs> it, it just didn't rhyme. It didn't have the, yeah, the same cachet. Yeah, call, call, ask, ask uh, Pons and Fleischman, right? The fusion is not easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's telling Trump there. Right, right. Just, just ask uh, Higgs, Higgs boson, Higgs boson, boson, whatever, whatever it is. Ah, oh, Don. Hey, I'm talking into my shoe again. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Like- it sounds. Uh, it sounds uh, low free. It sounds. It's a. Uh, <laughs> it's a high top, Don. It's. Uh, these these oh. are. Yeah. It's. 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 Uh, huh. I could have sworn it's a loafer. It no. Really. It really has acoustical properties of a loafer, man. It's. <laughs> it's it was a it's a it's a high brogue no uh it's uh it's a it's a nike it's a nike product it's a high top um mm. i have i've paused my dropbox i've turned off evernote i also have a dog in here who i'm sure you're gonna hear him oh. like shaking um Stan, stanley is very excited that i'm uh home doing a podcast today um, oh, he is. He's and he was so excited that he uh, chewed a USB cord. Uh, oh, unfortunately, the very same USB cord that connects my microphone to my computer. Oh, um, that's so, not good. Well, no, but I have a. I had a backup. It's a. It's, that's it's, good. It's like a USB. I don't know. One or something. It's one. It's like an old school one. Um, yeah. So. Hey, we haven't done like a regular podcast in a while because we had a guest last. Yeah, time. that this is this is true, and people are still talking about it. People, I mean, it's it, people. All the all the people are talking about it. So many. I've talked. Well, I don't know. I don't know about all people, but my my, my son, my son, uh, who who listens to Roderick on the line, and occasionally, apparently, to my podcast, uh, sent me a text message the other day. You have Roderick on your show, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, of course yes, we, we do. do. Yeah. We do. Um. I, I I tried to slip into some sort of Trumpisms there, where I've talked to many people. They're all talking about the podcast. The podcast is it's huge. Gonna be huge. It, yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be the best. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't do it anymore. I, I thought you. I thought you were channeling uh, Trump a few minutes ago because you like you did a really loud sniff. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, Don, I missed the debate in real time. I, I did too. I I watched it on Twitter and uh, and Facebook. I I deliberately just chose to watch it on Twitter and Facebook, which was which was actually pretty good. So by you watched it on Twitter and Facebook, meaning you watched it through the comments on Twitter. Yeah, I didn't. I, good. I didn't. I, yeah, I did not. I did not turn it on. I just I just listened to what people say. I read what people were saying about it. So by listen to, I mean read. I like. <laughs> 
I like that. It's sort of like a, when you listen to a blog. And yes, when exactly. Reading the podcast. Um, yes. I like I, – I'm a fan of watching and and then having Twitter open at the same time, like as a as an extra – as an extra thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was on a plane. I was stuck. Oh um, man. I know it kind of, it was, it was, uh, I, I was not, I wasn't super happy about missing it. And I was, I was flying back from lovely Edmonton, Alberta. Um, nice. Yeah. And, but, uh, I was, I, I, so I tried to, uh, get, um, the go-go in-flight internet. Uh, oh, just just so you could watch the uh, debate, yeah. and then stream it on Twitter because Twitter live uh, live streamed uh, you know the the actual debate. Uh, I, I heard about that. Yeah, and I couldn't uh, couldn't make it happen. Uh, mm. It was like the 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 go-go. I don't know what your experience is with in-flight internet. It's it's not. It doesn't meet the hype. It's never. It, fast. It's highly. It's highly variable. It's sometimes it's adequate, <clears throat> um, and many times it is non-functional. I wish that it would have been just adequate when, uh, like on Monday, when I wanted it to be. Um, mm. I also had a similar experience last year as I was flying to Dubai uh, for the Dubai uh, International Food Safety Conference, and my beloved Toronto Blue Jays, who are a sports ball team from. Uh, the city of uh, Toronto uh, were playing a playoff game and it was in the fifth inning and we were up one nothing or something like that. And as soon as I took off, I was like, oh, I'll just get on the go go in flight and I'll watch or I'll, you know, I'll listen. Even I, I even had this whole strategy of I'm not even going to try and put on the video. I will just listen to the audio of the game. And it lasted for uh, about 20 minutes of me trying to get it connecting and it didn't work. And I'm mm. just, I'm mad. Mm. I'm mad about, I'm mad about it. And it happened again. Mm. Uh, what are you going to, what are you going to do, Don? You, you've, have you, <laughs> speaking of people being mad, you've, you've heard the Louis CK bit, right? About, about people on the airplane that are mad when the Wi-Fi doesn't work. No, I, no, oh, no, okay. no, it's we'll, totally we'll independent. This, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we will put this, we'll put this in show notes. This is a great, it's a great bit by Louis CK. I won't ruin it by, uh, by recounting it to you, but uh, it's, it's well worth listening to uh, or, and or watching depending on the speed of your internet. <laughs> I will not watch it on a, uh, on a flight. Is that what you're, that's what you're suggesting? I'm suggesting you not watch it on a flight. Yes. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I, I really, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about Louis CK and I really like Louis CK and I have, um, you know, I, I, in spurts, I am going back through Louie, the FX TV show, uh, where I'll watch three or four episodes and I don't watch it for another three weeks. Um, but, um, what I restarted or what I was very excited about was that Netflix, uh, as of, uh, last week now has uh, Portlandia season six available. Oh, nice. I did not realize that it's yeah. So, so check it out. Um, it, I love. I also love Portlandia. It's it, the. It, there are certain shows that are like, um, I don't know. They're you don't have to really pay attention to, and it, they're good. It's just good, like twenty minutes of of laughter. So, and Portlandia is up there mm-hmm. for me. I like it. I like that show. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I. I mean, I got some stuff to talk about, Don. We have so many things. We, we do. We're it's. 
because we had a great episode last time, but it, we didn't do any news last time. It was no. all just us being relentlessly grilled by uh, by John Roderick. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was amazing. We because I don't know if you know this, but this is our show, and John Roderick came on our show <laughs> and interviewed us. Um, yeah, which was which was actually awesome. which was 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 yes it was so it was so good and i i uh i i was worried that we wouldn't have anything to talk about but uh but man uh man can that guy talk and and he didn't really even talk that much he just he just listened and he he just had i i you know um re-listening to it and and thinking about what should be the show titles i really wanted to make the show title that's an excellent question because i think i literally could not count on one hand right it took more than one hand to count the number of times that i said that in response to something that he said so anyway i'm sure he's not listening to this um but uh, but john you are an excellent interviewer yeah we he, sh- he should have a podcast he should have a podcast where he just interviews people about food safety he should he should do a podcast where no, he, inv- he invites guests he, on. He invites people yes, guests on on anything no, and then he just asks questions. Just food safety. Like like he should just interview all of the people that we know in food safety. <laughs> that uh that would be a show that I think very few people would listen to, but the people that would listen to it would really enjoy it. We'd love it. You and I would talk about it all the time. Um it would be the only other competing food safety talk uh, podcast. And in fact, it would be probably drastically better than this. Drastically um, better. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, you know, being that I, um, I, I jump at uh, fame and, uh, and fortune, but mainly fame, uh, I have since we posted our podcast with John, um, I guess it was a week and a half ago. He hasn't recorded another Roderick on the line, and I keep like uh, going to my podcast feed and updating it to hear if, it, like, if he's if he's spent twenty minutes talking to Merlin about how great a a, a podcast we we have, <laughs> but he but it hasn't happened yet. And by the I, time I yeah, like <laughs> I think it's too it's too long ago now. Like by the time they do record another one, the they won't he he won't have he totally will have forgotten that he was even on our podcast. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure it won't come up, but but he he and he all but also I mean again because the man's a professional, right? He really did a very nice job of of retweeting us and and promoting promoting the podcast that he was a guest on 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 uh, social media on the twitters and stuff. And it, that was very that was very he did not have to do that. It was very generous of him, and and we do appreciate it. And we should yeah, if, if, even though he's not listening to this totally, but we we should have him on again to interview us, maybe. <laughs> Maybe there are other things that he wants us to wants to ask us about in like around I don't know the holidays or uh, maybe uh, like uh, barbecue summer food safety. We'll we'll have to find a seasonal reason to get him on again. Um, well, what I what I want to do is is I want to have everyone who does a podcast with Merlin be on this show, and so um, the the next person that I have uh, uh, in my in my sights in my mental sights that I want to get on the show is a guy by the name of John Syracusa. Right. And I don't I probably don't know John, but he does uh, Reconcilable Differences podcast with Merlin, and he is aware of our show because at one point on Reconcilable Differences, he said to Merlin, "You know, I haven't listened." 
listen to that food safety show that you're always talking about. <laughs> and uh, first of all, I said to myself, so how awesome is it that John know, John Syracuse knows that we have a show? And second of all, how awesome is it that he thinks that Merlin talks about our show all the time, which he, <laughs> he has mentioned it a few times. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, I, was, I, was, I was delighted by that comment. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I think we should try and also get on um, Robot or Not. Is that John Syracuse? <laughs> Who is that? It is. Very yeah. good. Well done. Yes. Bad, right? Jason Snell and John Syracuse. Yeah. So I think uh, somehow we should be uh, food safety talk. Robot or not? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, good luck. Good luck with that. Um, yes, we should. We should get on that show. You know what we should do is we should email Merlin and Dan uh, to be a guest on Boots on uh, on uh, Back to Work. <laughs> Back to Work, because, yes. Uh, well, because they have lots of really great guests on that show. Yeah, and we I think that our our content, uh, you know, the things that we promote, are, would be a really great fit uh, to be a guest on that show. Um, and I I yeah, the, you know, we we uh, we're really good at uh, motivational speaking um and uh brand development and design i think that's what all the all those uh emails they get say um yes oh gosh um okay so i texted you something i want i want to i want to start i want to start somewhere here um okay this is like i won't say this is this is not a life hack this is not a life hack at all um <laughs> And that's what I mean. I mean, in fact, I may at the start of each of our discussions now, I'm going to you're going to start with that. Yeah, this is not a life hack. OK, so, Don, um, I the, um, it's going to get a little personal here. Um, mm. I, I've been on I've been on a few airplanes. You've been on you've been on a few airplanes, right? Yes, I have. I have. I'm going on an airplane next week. I, I'm also going to go on an airplane next week. We're going <laughs> to the same place. Are we not? Are you going to New Mexico? Yeah, I'm going to be there. Oh, wait. So somebody's not going. Oh, oh, you know what? It's our it's our good friend and and uh, listener of the podcast Michelle Daniluk who is not going to New Correct. Mexico. Michelle Daniluk's not going, but I'll be there. Um, well, you'll be, oh, that's so glad. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um I didn't I, I I really thought you were going somewhere else, but no, anyway, no, I'm I'm coming. I'm, I'm, coming. I'm oh, I look I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to talking with you and trying to not look at you. All oh, right, right. Good. Just like every other time we're in the same room. Um so I I I've, I I can't like okay so if I'm gonna do some quick mathematics and estimation, I've probably been on um, I don't know a hundred flights maybe mm, eighty seems reasonable yeah eighty five flights I, I don't know something like that um, in your life in my life in my life I have never once up until Monday of this week pooped on an airplane never once mm. never once. <laughs> And Don, I need some advice from you on this. I don't. I'm not I'm, even. Gonna, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you if you've done it. But I feel I, free I to think share. That, I think. I think no. Okay. Or maybe once, but yeah, yeah. Okay. So so here's here's where this gets into food safety. Um. <laughs> there's. All right. So in an airplane bathroom, there are a lot of pictures. There's not a lot of. Um, words there are not a lot of rules uh i i don't often use any uh when i when i do and i actually don't use a, a like 
I, I don't often go to the bathroom on a, on a restroom, like even to urinate. Sometimes I'll go and like splash some water on my face or wash my hands just to, just to do something. But I'm not, I don't spend, I don't really like airplane bathrooms. Like they usually smell pre- pretty bad. Um, and they're small and it's just not, it's not my scene. Um, so I had to go, uh, you know, uh, had, had to have a bowel movement, uh, as one does, uh, on an airplane. And, um, I couldn't figure out exactly what I was supposed to do with the uh, toilet paper because I mm. get the sense that you're not supposed to put paper in the toilet part at all. But that the toilet paper is supposed to go in the, like, paper disposal little, I don't know, not bucket, but there's, like, there's like a little mm-hmm. shoe yep. that, that it goes yep. in. Yep. So, yep. so is, that, is that your interpretation? Is that, like... No. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> so, here's, here's the thing, Ben. Iconography, right? The use of icons to communicate is fantastic right because it means that we don't we can have a common language of icons to communicate things to people the problem with that ben is that icons are not clear right and i think i think what the the icon that perhaps misled you was an icon that is meant to communicate do not because see in in a bathroom i don't know if you know this in a bathroom there are uh, at least I think three kinds of paper, right? Okay. There is toilet paper. Uh huh. There is tissue paper. Yep. For blowing your nose, and then there is there are paper towels for drying your hands. Yes. The latter two are not to go in the toilet. I think the toilet paper is supposed to go in the toilet, and so that is what you should do with it. Okay. So, and this this is going to seem weird. Like I, I mean, I understand as a listener, this might be odd. Um. I, that so that's what I did. I, I disposed of the toilet Good. paper in the toilet because, but I did have this like mm-hmm. time, like it, it was not like an immediate d- decision. I had a, um, I don't know, a three to five second thought of, oh, hey, hang on a second. Now, what do I do with this toilet paper here? Because paper's not supposed to go in the in the toilet. Um, from what I understand in, in this, you know, in this airplane bathroom. Um, but I decided that, um, again, uh, sort of, I guess in good judgment that I would break all of the iconography rules and not stick this like toilet paper through this door into a chute and, and, and then potentially spread pathogens all over the place. And but it got me thinking. Like I want to have a conversation with Don because I wonder how common that is. And then it made me think maybe I should never touch that poop shoot drawer door, door uh, again because maybe other people have the exact same problem that I did. And in fact, I wanted to go and I didn't even look this up. I actually wanted to go afterwards, um, and I just figured I would text you about it and we would talk about it. But to look online of um, whether there is. Uh, good information on what to do in this situation. Like if Delta on their website is like, oh, when you're using our, your bathrooms, feel free to use you know, the airplane toilet for your toilet paper, but don't put your other paper in there or not or what you know, whatever. But if I was having this issue, I'm sure other people have, ha- have had this uh, concern or, or, or not, or maybe I'm, I'm no, no, very no, no. And, and I, I, 
No, and I I I I a hundred percent identify uh, with it because although I have never had that dilemma on an airplane, I was at a conference in Greece, and I was staying in a college dormitory um, because it was an inexpensive way to go to the conference. And, you know, my wife wasn't traveling with me. And so I could like afford to, you know, save some money and stay. And it was the, it was actually right next to where the conference was. So it was very convenient. And I don't remember the details and this may, this may be pre iPhone. And so I probably don't even have the photo, a photograph, but I, and certainly it's before Facebook. So I wasn't, it wasn't posted on social media where it most certainly would be today. I was very puzzled by a similar sign in the bathroom of this dorm room. Um, because it seemed to imply that one should not put toilet paper in the toilet. And this is not, this is in fact, and I think our, our colleagues that work, um, uh, with, um, folks, uh, in, in agriculture and agricultural food safety and on farm food safety, this is commonly a problem because in many places, uh, don't have adequate plumbing. You are not to put anything but poop and pee in the toilet. You are not to put toilet paper in the toilet. It will clog the toilet and you, you should discard it in a bucket beside the toilet because it is there for exactly that purpose. And so I think, and, and so this, and this is what had me confused about what to do in this, um, uh, in this Greek dormitory bathroom. And I was, I was really puzzled for a couple of days as to what to do. And I think in the end I ended up using the toilet, but it's very, it's, it's definitely confusing and it's especially confusing. Everything seems I just, I just, I just sent you a text message. I thought maybe the dog could shoot <laughs> through another important cable. No, but I, but I did get like my printer started printing something. Maybe we, <laughs> Which is weird because I don't often use that. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm back. I'm back. Maybe you're getting hacked. Oh my gosh! Do you think it's the Russians? Do you think they're <sighs> looking for thirty three thousand emails from Hillary on my computer? That's I think they are. I think they're gonna print them out. <laughs> oh my gosh! I don't have enough paper, Don. Oh, the so, um, so how much of how much of my story did you hear? I, I got to. Um, you were in Greece. And yep. uh, you decided at the end that you decided you were absolutely going to um, use uh, the uh, – you were going to flush it down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. It, let's just say eventually. Eventually, yes. Eventually, eventually that became my practice, let's just say. Yeah. Well, okay. So if, if we struggle with this, then maybe someone else is trying to follow the rules and doesn't and, – and decides to put stuff – in uh in the little drawer of tissues and maybe that becomes a place where there's a bunch of poop like yes is that that's possible right i wonder i mean yes we, we and is that then now um like a uh it's a it's a cross-contamination con issue it's a it's a thing it's not it's not it good. is it's not good so it is and and like, for example, if you were to, let's say, drop something in that area, uh, you know, I, I could tell you oh, I dropped that it wouldn't in that matter. Area, Don. <laughs> it was too easy. It was too easy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could tell you that it wouldn't matter how fast you picked it up, Ben. That's right. Because, you know, do you know why? Uh, do you know why? Because the five second rule is a myth, Don. It is. It is. And and this apparently other people have apparently studied this. I don't know if you know this, but uh, 
But but recently a report came out from Rutgers University on the five second rule. Have you have you heard about this? Uh, I heard that there was some like New Jersey thing. I don't know if it was Rutgers. It might have been like um, Garden State. Uh, university or um, yeah, somewhere somewhere else. I, I heard someone try to measure like maybe it's not the five second rule, but the three second rule. I don't know. Could you tell me more? Could you get? I I, I just I, pick, I could. I'm picking up stuff. I don't know where where to put it. I can I can tell you, I can tell you that uh, longer contact times increase cross contamination of Enterobacter erogenes from surfaces to food. That's what I can tell you, um, which is the the title the title of our paper, uh, published online uh, September second uh, in the journal Applied and Environmental Microbiology. Uh, this, the running title is Is the Five Second Rule Real? Um, so this is. <clears throat> This is some work uh, done by my, myself and my graduate student, Robin Miranda. Uh, we'll also link to the Rutgers University press release. And so uh, astute, um, astute listeners of the podcast will know that a number of years ago, we got uh, – we, I, got really – ticked off with some people from Aston University in the United Kingdom who had a press release about their research – and I'm, I'm using Richard Fingers – research on uh, the five-second rule – um, which it turns out that research was a uh, PowerPoint uh, presentation, um, and it got me it got me upset. And uh, I went to my graduate student, uh, Rob, then brand new graduate student Robin Miranda, and I said, "Hey, how would you like to study the five second rule?" And we designed what I think was a really nice experiment. We looked at four different surfaces. We looked at four uh, different types of foods. We actually ended up uh, using two different inoculum preparation. Um, um, matrices, uh, which we inoculated onto, onto these surfaces. And then we looked at four different contact times, a fraction of a second, five seconds, 30 seconds, and 300 seconds. And, and we discovered, uh, that it's actually <clears throat> turns out been quite complicated. The, the simple story is even no matter which food or which surface, um, no, uh, there were, and we, oh, and we also did 20 replicates because again, we know from our previous research with cross-contamination, you really have to do a large number of replicates if you want to capture uh, the variability associated with these processes. And what we discovered was there was no food surface combination that didn't, for at least some of those 20 replicates, give at least some bacterial transfer from the surface to, to the food. Um, but what we also discovered, which is the title of the article, is that longer contact times do increase the transfer. And we still don't really know why, although I think it probably has something to do with the, the way sort of the surface-to-surface -surface interaction between the, 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 the contact surface and the food surface. As the food sits on the surface, I think the force of gravity uh, sort of pushes those two together. And of course, the more intimate that contact, the more uh, cross-contamination you get. So um, <clears throat> like I said, I was, I was ticked off at this. Um, uh, I, we, wrote, we wrote a paper, we got it published, we wrote a press release, and that press release absolutely took off. And it was on the one hand, I was kind of a little embarrassed <clears throat> exactly how easy it was to get all this publicity. And by easy, I mean, Robin worked her butt off for two years and we wrote a paper and we submitted it to a really a journal where it was accepted. Right. But having done all of that, we wrote this press release and it just, it just, just blew up, right? Like I was getting calls every day, uh, magazines, newspapers, uh, radio. I did, I've done, I've done radio in, um, 
Uh, I've done a couple of radio programs in Canada. I did an English radio show. I did an Australian radio show. I'm going to do a uh, Latin American radio show, um, which I have to read you the uh, I have to read you the email. It's very funny. All the famous people they 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 name drop horribly with all the famous people that have been on their radio show. But awesome. uh, but I mean I I would have said yes anyway. But um, I didn't tell them that. But um, so uh, it's it's really been it's on the one hand it's been rewarding um, on the other hand it's been I'm a little I'm a little sad that it's so easy to kind of to manipulate the media in this way and I guess or it's not really manipulate the media it's to it's like why 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 are people well so one of the great things and again. Props to the New York Times, right? Because the New York Times guy called me. He actually wrote a really good story. He talked to some other people. He talked to our, our buddy um, uh, Doug Powell. He talked to um, uh, Bill Hallman at Rutgers University about, like, why would someone eat food off the floor? But what I want to know is why is the, why does this story resonate so much with people, right? Yeah. Why why does it why did it take off? And in fact. The other thing, too, and I'm so glad that uh, one of my colleagues, <clears throat> actually it's a colleague of mine that works in IT at the at the school, um, he actually heard uh, heard it on the Howard Stern show. So uh, Robin, uh, Robin, it was one of the news wow. stories that Rob Quivers presented, and, and I actually found a bootleg copy somewhere on the Internet and listened to it. And they didn't talk about it for very long, but it was like it was kind of exciting to hear uh, uh, Howard and Robin talk about it. And they even used some voice clips from another uh, radio interview that I did. So so I Whoa. guess, Ben, you could say I've been on the Howard Stern show. Holy I didn't know. I, that, that's amazing. Out of all of this, out of all of the coverage. Yes. Yeah, New York Times. That, uh, great. Blah, blah, blah. Good job, Don. You're very, very famous in Argentina on a, on a radio show. But you are on Howard Stern. Amazing. I was. Howard uh, Stern, so. Um, so uh, I want to I pick up on, on two things. Um, one, one is that, as you mentioned, the um, uh, Christopher uh, Mel, Mele, Melly from the New York Times. Um, talk to, to many, all the best, all the best people talk to me. Uh, none of my, oh, none of my, I sent him, I sent him yeah. away, but yeah. none of my quotes, uh, made, made the final cut. And, uh, uh, so I didn't, uh, I didn't even get in, in on the, on the excitement. Um, I'm sorry. It's, it's not your, but you know what they say, Ben, you gotta, you, you gotta give good quote. And, I, uh, I, apparently, I yeah, apparently you don't you don't give good enough quote. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so <laughs> But it's okay. You can work on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to work on it. Um, okay, so, so here's, mm. uh, here's the thing I want to talk about though, is, is your question on why is it such a big story, and what, why does it have, as, as the folks in the media say, why does it have legs? And I think, legs, right. yeah, I think it's because we have, um, it, it is all, it's, it's already such a popular culture, um, accepted, uh, except uh, accepted thing that, that people will try to salvage this, this, uh, these products that, that fall on the floor, these foods, right? Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's just there and, and everyone knows about it. Like it's, um, if you, if you were to say five second rule, any, anywhere around food and anywhere people would automatically understand what that what that means so it's i i don't i can't think of any other food safety type 
um, situation that has penetrated uh, popular culture as much uh, as the five second rule. So I think that that leads to, you know, people are interested in it. People are interested in, um, in what, what do we know about it? And anytime it's a myth buster debunking a myth, it's controversial because some people love the five second rule. Should you do it? Should you not? It lends itself to so many like um, great headlines. Like does the five second rule work? It's a mm-hmm. law of Betteridge's law uh, type mm. type stuff. So I, that that's to me is why why it keeps going on. Um, I as we were talking, I looked at the Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. and for the five second rule, and mm-hmm. it hasn't been updated with your stuff yet. Oh my god, those Wikipedia nerds—they are falling down on the job. Yeah, everything's old on this one. We got to get this into Wikipedia, which is kind of surprising, right? Like it. Wikipedia is usually all over this kind of stuff. Yeah, Wikipedia is always right, as we say yeah. often. Sometimes, never wrong. I never think we wrong. say never wrong. I guess sometimes it's uh, it's slow. Well, it's not wrong. It's just out of date. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so happy. Uh, I, you know, we we knew uh, I knew that the paper was coming out. We you and I had talked a little bit about uh, the press release beforehand, and uh, I'm I'm happy that it got picked up all over the place. But it is a uh, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's a good science communication question. And that's, that's a good, like, don't feel like you manipulated the, uh, the news world. Just feel like you, you fed into what the news world is looking for, which is something interesting that conflicts with what people want to hear, which is, Hey, you should probably not eat food that fell on the floor. You dumbass. Right, right. I, yeah, I guess, and it's sort of like uh, as 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 Merlin always talks about it. It's a, it's a great turns out, right? Um, you know, or uh, or Malcolm Gladwell. All turns out, uh, turns out that's not true. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, I I feel um, although by the end of it, I mean, I'm kind of I'm glad that the news media attention is dying down because it made it really hard to do anything else. Um, although again, I don't I don't regret it for a minute, but I'm I'm kind of glad that it's dying down. Um, but on the other hand, I am still like really pleased with the paper, right? It, the paper turned out really good. It's, it's, uh, if again, if you're interested in cross-contamination and you want some science, it's, it's a good, it's a good piece of, it's a good piece of work. There's a, there's some real, I mean, picking four foods and four surfaces and, and the two matrices, the two inoculum matrices, it just ended up like we, I think I really feel like we learned something from the work, right? We really ex- expanded our knowledge in a way that was, uh, that was useful. So it wasn't just capitalizing on the five second rule, but it really was doing some, doing some good work so good good yeah and it and it was really um you know from a from an outsider's view it was really a robust type study as well like it wasn't um hey we're gonna try and answer this question quickly like uh like aston it's we're gonna we're gonna take a, a bunch of different scenarios and we're gonna really try and confirm what we know about transfer or, right. Exactly. Yeah, and and look at you know different different types of food and and this it all I mean it all goes into the science based um, risk management decisions that, that that we make like and and it uh, it supports some of the um, assumptions that are uh, that are out there um, and as, especially as I think about how we work with um, our um, uh, your restaurants I, I was. Uh, at a um, 
uh, I was at a farm yesterday that grows apples. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, it doesn't matter. Um, and they were talking about um, after the Odwalla uh, linked outbreak, which is 20 years ago next week, I think it is. Um, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, that, you know, they, they don't. Um, and you know, any apples that have ever hit the ground, they don't, they don't harvest, they just leave them on the ground. And, uh, and the farmer cited just, you know, we don't follow, we don't even follow the five second rule. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's <laughs> amazing. That. Yeah. So, so anyway, it's that, that kind Good of stuff. stuff. Like it's, it, yeah, it permeates all over the place. Don, my phone is blowing up. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you heard my. It's those, it's those, those, I did the Russian hackers. Uh, the Russian they're hackers. now they're trying. They, now that they can't get to your printer, they're trying your phone. Oh my gosh, they're trying to get me. It's a good thing the dog's sleeping here. He's got it all under control. They they come in through the window. I'm sure he'll uh, bark or sniff them, he'll, Trump style. Um. <laughs> hey, okay, so I got another thing for you, and it has to do with transfer, okay. and it's a question. Cool. That someone posed to me. And, and it was posed to me in my favorite way that a question gets posed to me, which is, this would make a good graduate student project, which, oh. which usually means this will not make a good graduate student project. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have the same, uh, uh, same experience with that? Like it's uh, – anyway. Well, and, and yes, yes, and people are so – like they really feel like – they're doing you a service. Like what we have, like their, their image of the university is like, there's probably like 20 students. They're just sitting there like scratching their heads saying, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to study for my research. I really don't know. Oh my gosh, that's a brilliant idea. We should go study that. Whereas in reality, it's more like there's tons of students. Um, they all want funding. We don't have funding. And the ones that we, we do have funding for, like there's a project that comes with that funding idea. So people have a complete – really don't understand the way, the way universities or, or research works. But, but, but it's okay. Yeah, right, right. Well, and, and I like the way that you said that like they're doing you a big favor. favor with this. Like, yeah. Like, hey, I got something. I'm not – I could give this to any – any old researcher, but I'm going to give this to you. But give it to you, right? Well, okay. So here, here it is. I was, uh, I was at a a meeting, um, and I and and if 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 the person who asked this question or gave this to me uh, is listening, don't by any means uh, feel like we're um, discrediting your your question by this conversation. But I was at this meeting in Edmonton, Alberta. The uh, Canadian Institute of Public Health Inspectors. And um, after my talk, someone came up to me and said, I've got this great question that one of your graduate students could totally go ahead and run with. And it is um, in one of the restaurants that, that uh, she inspects, it seems like it's commonplace for, and I don't know why this happens, but for people to sit on food carts with their butts. So these would be like carts that are used to shuffle food through service or across a, uh, a kitchen or whatever. And so, you know, these, these carts that I'm talking about, Don, like they look like lab carts two sort of two tiered kind of carts some plastic on top. Um, yep. Okay. So her question was if someone um, could transfer fecal matter through their pants, through their underwear, 
onto a food cart by sitting on it, and should that be considered a risk factor? And and I I said no, but I said based on what I would understand about transfer of um, poop bacteria, I would need some sort of a matrix. And so if it was if someone sat on a cart and it was wet with poop then that would be a problem but a dry seat on top of a food cart would not be in my estimation a high risk uh practice that's how i approached it that that's good so so a cup couple of couple of things to to talk about here one uh there's a paper uh, that I published in the early 90s uh, based on some work that we did um, through our program that goes out and inspects uh, Rutgers University dining halls. And from the inception of that program through uh, the late 1990s, we did a, a whole lot of surface sampling. And so we sampled all kinds of kitchen surfaces in Rutgers University dining halls. And we probably could tell you um, not about um, the specific question that you're asking, but but a more general question, which is what is the microbiological state of food carts or of, of carts that uh, are, are used to wheel things around on the kitchen, right? So, so it doesn't tell you what the poop bacteria via pants transfer is, but it would tell you whether those are especially dirty surfaces or not. And and the answer, I can tell you, not, not having seen the paper recently, but I can tell you the answer is um, they're not that dirty, right? Um, but there are some surfaces that are that are quite dirty. Then there are places you can look in the kitchen. If you want to find bacteria in high concentrations in a kitchen, I can tell you that there are definitely some places you can look uh, to find that. And in fact, uh, we might have even talked about this on the podcast. Uh, one of the worst offenders um, uh, is uh, dispensers, uh, beverage dispensers, right. uh, and particularly juice dispensers, because um, those surfaces are always wet and they get food debris on them. And they're sometimes they're not adequately cleaned. And so we've got an article on juice, juice dispenser tip sanitation, but also a general article on, on sanitation on these surfaces in, in general. Um, but related to that, so the, there was a gentleman who, um, who used to work for this project, um, who, uh, who basically got a bit of a reputation as being, he was sort of, he saw himself as a health inspector, even though he wasn't a health inspector, he was really, you know, worked for this program, which, which went out and monitored the university dining halls, but he didn't have any regulatory authority, but he, but he saw himself as having that authority. And at one point someone, um, so we had, we had, we don't have it anymore, but we used to have bacteria in our building. And I walked into that cafeteria one day and there was a sign saying no backpacks on tables by order of Rutgers <laughs> University Dining. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's, that is fascinating. I wonder what's up with that. And I, uh, conversation ensued. And, and he said, well, think about it. Think about where those backpacks are. Those backpacks are everywhere. They get dragged through the mud. The, the students just do everything with them. And then they come in here and they put them on our tables. And I'm like, okay, mm, uh, mm -hmm. all right. I mean, I guess I, I can see there's a theoretical risk there, right? And I would say the same thing with your, with your food carts. There's a theoretical risk but but again, think about what has to happen, right? So so there has to be contamination on whatever surface. That has to transfer to the backpack. It has to transfer from the backpack to the table, and then it has to somehow get from the table 
to the person. Now, I suppose if you put your hand down on the table and you get some bacteria on your fingertips and then you pick up a French fry and then you put that French fry in your mouth, I guess there's a whole series of transfers that could occur that would lead to risk. However, generally speaking, I think the risk from people getting sick from butts on food carts or backpacks on tables is pretty low down in in the in the in the in the risk scenarios right now that's that said if someone vomited with norovirus on a table and that table was improperly cleaned for sure i would really be very very careful about sitting at that table the next day and and thinking about those kind of scenarios but that's a that's a Difference. situation where you have a yeah. very very high load on the table and you have a relatively low uh, infectious dose or or a low id50 so so it's a different situation yeah well and and that's you know the, the that was the other um thought that i had in in my mind about this like someone's butt going on a food cart it's not so much what you know what the original question was about was like well can those poop bacteria go through someone's pants and you know what if they are squirming around or something and uh place it but a, a more a theoretical potential would be that that butt gets contaminated somewhere else on the outside and they just transfer it um you know directly to to the cart but even then it doesn't like it seems like we should be focusing on other things right like it seems like we should be focusing on hand washing and temperature control real contributing factors that we know lead to to foodborne illness not this theoretical um idea of cross contamination or direct contamination or or whatever but it was it 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 was something that like when this conversation came up i was like let me follow this away let's have a conversation with don about it because the i think the way that i you know the way that you and i look at it is going to be very similar and that's what it was when um you know when we had this conversation but uh i i wanted to make sure that i i wasn't missing something um that that i that you know that she was seeing that i wasn't Right, um, right. No, and it's there, yeah, and there's a and there is a there is a theoretical risk. Oh, and there's one more point too. So I I, I've, I found the link to the article, which we'll we'll put into show notes, um, which has a, a a delightfully old email address for me, which I didn't even remember I had. But but one of the really interesting things that we found from this research, which I which is still interesting to me to this day, um, we because we had so much data. We could actually begin to look at factors that influenced uh, the the sanitary quality of these surfaces, and it turns out that having food debris on a surface, having water, standing water on a surface, or having both food debris and standing water on a surface actually increase the probability that a given surface would not meet the our, our sanitary criteria for the program, right? And so what that says to me is on the one hand, we need this program or, and we actually, one of the things we did uh, when we, when we, when we completely revamped the program um, was we did away with surface testing and we focused more on temperatures because I think temperature control is probably a bigger risk factor. But, um, but what we learned from this was that actually macroscopic inspection, that is looking for food debris, looking for standing water, was actually a pretty good surrogate for testing f the microbiological quality. And so if you if you want to uh, improve surface sanitation in a facility, um, look for clean surfaces and look for dry surfaces. Because if, you, if things are clean and dry, uh, it's a low risk microbiologically speaking. Hmm. So anyway. Oh, that's, that's interesting yeah. and useful. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so the I, I wanted to come back before I leave this uh, conversation of my trip to Edmonton. I wanted mm. to come back to talk about something that you and I uh, talked about a few episodes ago. Um, uh, the some of the work that uh, Lynn McMullen's group did uh, at the University of Alberta on thermotolerant E. coli. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. So, so this, um, my invite to this, to this conference was to talk about what they suggested were, um, what, uh, hot topics in food safety and how those hot topics or new information could change what we do in epidemiology and in public health. And so I, um, I constructed sort of some new material to deliver this talk and i highlighted a few um specific papers um to help public health inspectors rethink what you know the rethink the policies and rethink the risk-based aspect of of what they do uh food safety uh, uh the risk um inspection wise and so i want i just wanted to let you know that i i talked um I talked to them about uh, norovirus aerosolization and norovirus uh, culture. Um, just the how those two things are kind of, I think, important as we go forward on making decisions on how we clean up vomit in a facility and what kind of interventions will be used and what kind of compounds will be used. And so, so it was like this whole conversation about here, here are two papers that I think are important for you to, to keep in mind when you're doing uh, inspections or working uh, on outbreak investigations. Um, I then talked a, a little bit about our uh, burger ordering uh, paper, which is, has been accepted and should be coming out. I think it's in the January uh, version of Journal Food Protection. So I'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about that uh, once the press release goes out and maybe we'll get uh, similar coverage to the five second rule, but probably not. But um, no. I, I wanted to come back and, and, and tell you that um, one of my most favorite studies that I am using over and over again for um, message development and risk management decisions is, um, is the cantaloupe um, listeria growth paper that you and Michelle uh, did. And with the really beautiful contour plots that show log growth at temperatures and time and days. And, um, and then I sort of talk about the 2011 uh, cantaloupe uh, linked listeria outbreak and, and talk about the cut, you know, cut cantaloupe being a, a factor. And, um, and, and that, that piece, like this, this is the part that um, I think is a little bit frustrating and it, and it comes back to the thermal tolerance toler stuff as well, is that your paper was published in what, 2012 or something, 2013. I mean, it's not, mm -hmm. it wasn't, it's not new, right? This is not a, right. it's not a thing that, um, that just came out, but we still have, um, really bad messages about, um, how long cut cantaloupes should be stored in consumer refrigerators mm -hmm. or in, um, uh, food service, uh, refrigerators at specific temperatures. And, and so, so what I, what I tried to do was, 
um, bring like, okay, here are eight papers that I think are important to public health inspectors and how we should be approaching um, these issues going going forward. Um, and so someone someone at the end of the talk asked me, okay, this is great. You told us about these papers that you think are important. How do we stay up to date as public health inspectors on what the most um, important research is? And that, that you know, you, you, you guys being us academics, we spend time reading the literature when a paper comes or when a journal comes out and look for things that we can, um, that we can use, that we can learn from. And, uh, you know, the comment was kind of like, we don't really have time for that. So how do we, how do we actually do that? And so I, I, I told them that they should listen to the podcast and that they should check out Barflog. Um, but what, I mean, I, I, it's a really good question. What, what would you suggest on to, um, to health inspectors, to environmental health specialists who are looking to stay up to date and, and, and not, um, sort of fall into complacency based on, uh, their, their training, which could get dated very quickly. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a really good question. And I, and I, I, uh, certainly I approve of both of your answers, right? Uh, reading, reading Barf blog and listening to podcasts are, are good ways to keep up. Um, but I would say part of what, uh, they should think about is they should view keeping themselves up to date as part of their job, right? So, so, and, and if they don't have time, any time at all to keep themselves up to date, then that's a problem with how they're structuring their job. Now, granted, they're, it's not like they have an academic appointment and they can spend you know hours every week reading papers, but they need to realize that, that they do need to keep up to date. So, so, and I think that is a, a, a change, a mindset change. And, and in fact, this, this sort of was brought home to me in a recent discussion uh, that I had on Facebook uh, because I had posted something. Uh, I think I was cooking. I was cooking burgers, and I made a. And and these were burgers that were persistent pink, right? I used the meat thermometer, um, but they were persistent pink. And so I posted a humorous comment on the internet um, on Facebook about it, and one of the people that ended up weighing in was somebody that doesn't know me from the food safety world, but is somebody that I, that knows me through the volunteer work that I do with the Boy Scouts. And this is the guy who is always in the kitchen. He is always cooking the the meals for the gatherings that we're having. So this is a guy who um, is not a food safety professional, but he, and I don't think he's a professional chef either, but this is a guy who cooks a lot. And, and he, definitively answered the question quoting from his serve safe training and i and he's a, a little bit annoying and a little bit dogmatic and 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 he's probably not voting for the same candidate as i am in november let's leave it at that um uh and so i just kind of kept tweaking him a little bit like how do you know that and and how, and, and so and i don't i don't think he ever really got like my point from all of this. And I don't, and I didn't, I didn't want to just say, would you please just go away? Right. <laughs> because, because I have a PhD in food science and I do this stuff for a living. I really wanted to see like how he uses that. And, and, and again, and my apology, I know there are people who are public health professionals who listen to this podcast, who, 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 who do have to know the code, but I hope that they realize that the code is 
by by definition, by virtue of what it needs to be, it is an oversimplification of the world. And to realize that, and in fact, another good friend of mine that I know from the work that I did with Rutgers, Rutgers Dining, uh, who's since retired, who teaches Serve Safe, um, but who who gets how complicated this stuff can be, um, he actually, we engaged a little bit on Facebook as well, and, and, I, uh, and I started talking about D values and Z values, and I think I blew his mind, right? So here's a right, guy right. who has lived in the food safety practical world, but start talking about D values and Z values and, and, and all of this stuff. And it just, it just, it blew him away how complicated it was. And so I, I guess it's, it's not only make the time to keep yourself up to date, but to realize that, that the, the, the lens through which you view the world, um, if that world is, let's say, surf safe and kitchen food safety is in fact, much more complicated than you are led to believe. And it's not just simply a matter. Yeah, we follow these rules and there are safe harbors and, and blah, blah, blah. But it's actually more complicated than that. And so, so number one, dedicate time. And number two, realize it's probably more complicated than you understand. And it, and it may, and it's probably more complicated than we can understand, but, but at least there's a reflection that, that, that it's like, it's like you're never you're never going to be a power lifter in the Olympics, or you're never gonna you're never gonna to come win the the New York Marathon. But you can still run, and you can still run better than you ran the day before. And so dedicate yourself to that. Like, okay, how am I going to expand my knowledge? What am I going to learn this week? So it's a, uh, it's but it's it's a it's a big problem. Well, and uh, one of the things that that I do as when I uh, work with environmental health specialists is uh, trying to pull apart the science behind some of those numbers. And so, and I, and I do this as a, as a way to teach them about, um, validation. And so, so we start with a conversation that if I've got 40 environmental health specialists in a room and I, uh, I'll ask them, you know, what's the, um, food code endpoint temperature for cooking poultry and 40 out of 40 will, will be able to tell me that it's, 165 degrees Fahrenheit. And then uh, we'll ask them a follow-up question of how do we know that? And, and sometimes that goes into a situation of like, well, it's because it's in the food code. Be like, well, yep. but how did it get in the food code? Um, well, someone did some science. Yeah. Well, what is, like, what, what, what did that science look like? Yeah. What did that science look like? Was it an experiment? How did they figure that out? And, and then, you know, someone will say, well, it's, it's because if you cook it to 165 degrees, that'll kill all the bacteria. And I will then answer, what, all what bacteria? All the pathogens, all, all of the bacteria. And by all, do you mean all of it or some percentage of it? No, no, all of it. Okay, well, how did they do that experiment? And, and I mean, this is it becomes like a 15-minute conversation where we finally get into log reductions and why salmonella would be used. And, and really just try to, to say these are the things that for every one of those temperatures that are in there, there has to be some um, robust uh, uh, you know, um, experimentation that, that goes on to, to validate those, those numbers. And, and that's... Um, 
it, it, it takes it, it for for a few in the class, or I shouldn't say a few. For many in the class, it's it, I think it's a good exercise where it takes them out of their comfort zone a little bit, and then and they embrace that and say, okay, well, what other things like all these other numbers that are here? What's the science behind those? And it and it engages into this much larger um, conversation. And then there's a few that are like, yeah, whatever. I just need to know that it's 165 degrees, and I'll move on. Um, in so. Uh, another thing that I that I kind of learned this week um, on differences between uh, Alberta specifically and what we do in North Carolina when it comes to stuff that would be outside of our collective codes, although they don't really have a code, um, would be I, I asked um, uh, a, a good close friend uh, in Alberta about if someone wanted to like ferment kimchi in a restaurant, how would they do that in Alberta? And, and she said, oh, people do it for sure all the time. And it comes down to a conversation directly between their health inspector and, and them. And it's up to that individual health inspector to make an assessment on whether they can do it safely. And which is a totally different system than what, what I'm used to and what I've encountered uh, in North Carolina, which would be if I want to do something outside of the food code, I have to apply for a variance and as part of that variance application for many of these specialized process including fermentation i would need to have a HACCP plan and i would have to show some validation or at least show some sort of science behind a recipe that i'm using and then uh have a ph meter and check like it it just seemed a lot more uh involved here and but but i see the like drawbacks and benefits to both uh both approaches but i i just thought it was kind of interesting there where it was like well you know in, in alberta we would just have a conversation and it would be up to that inspector and that inspector depending on how well versed they are in fermentation and, and ph might be much more comfortable or less comfortable than um than the next inspector uh so there so i i, I you know i just don't know um I still, don't, I still don't know exactly how I feel about it, but it was interesting that it was two different takes on this on the exact same product. Yeah, and I've been talking a lot this week about inspections as well. As I think I've shared before, I'm part of this uh, meat and poultry uh, inspection dialogue group, which is which is uh, bringing together uh, through the leadership of the Pew Charitable Trusts and Cargill, um, basically from the sort of the, the consumer side and the industry side. Like, what are what do we need to do to modernize the meat and poultry inspection system? And a lot of talk about inspectors and the inspector to inspect variability and you know the and and how do we really we've got all these moving pieces and then we you know it's not we didn't talk about a single food safety agency but you know of course when you're talking about what's going on with uh what should happen in terms of modernization of meat and poultry you can't resist talking about fda and fisma and things like that and again it's a really it's a really good group uh which i'm not not really allowed to talk about. Although what I can share is that we are we had our last face-to-face -face meeting, and so we should have a report uh, coming out um, hopefully very soon. Uh, sort of a coincident with um, election timing, such that we can, you know, get right uh, in 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 front of the the new uh, um, new elected officials, including a new president, um, and talk about this stuff. Now maybe nothing will happen, but it's been a very very interesting uh, dialogue. Um, just looking at all of the different viewpoints points and what needs to happen um, to, to, to 
come up with more regulations that are that are well and truly risk-based. And I think that there's some aspects of what we do in meat and poultry that are risk-based, uh, but there's many that are not. Um, and how do we move that that whole dialogue forward? So, um, so yeah. So, so the, the I guess if the if if you take a very if you take a very narrow time frame, well, this is the law, and this has always been the law. But but as you broaden your time frame, and now we have and back in the '90s we had the the revital re re. Uh, jiggering of the, the meat and poultry regulations to focus on HACCP, and we're still dealing with consequences of that. Um, and so if you take a long enough time frame, you realize that things are not nearly as static as you thought. And in, in fact, things are a lot more fluid. And, and, and especially now with FISMA, we're seeing, well, gosh, there are uh, new regulations and new laws that can come along. And, and, and how do we deal with that? And how do we modernize our, our food safety system? So um, certainly it's, uh, it, it makes things complicated, but it certainly also makes things uh, interesting for people like uh, you and me and, and all of our colleagues, both on the regulatory side and the industry side, that we have to kind of always, again, back to my earlier comments, we always have to strive to, to try to do better and learn a little bit more and, and, and try, to, try to make things better and safer and, and more science-based and it gives us something to do right we'd be bored yeah we'd be yeah bored without it. um yeah. I, to, before i move on from the the question about uh inspector staying up to today um one thing that did come up in that conversation was um often our state and local regulators don't have access to primary literature and i think that's mm. uh, that's a damn shame don like like well well, don't have access is one thing, but then I would also say uh, not necessarily equipped to understand, and I, and I don't mean that in at all a, a judgmental or a negative way. It's it definitely it 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 is definitely a skill to be able to read the peer-reviewed literature, and it's one that. Uh, is and well, and I experience it every time I look at a paper from Science Magazine that's outside my area of expertise. It's it's pretty hard to tell what the hell they did, right? You know, that's it's true, it's true. But I, I, you know, it's not nary a week goes by that I don't get a um a a request from someone in the regulatory world for a paper that they need. They they can find the abstract online. They need it for some reason, either to make a decision about some sort of a threshold or some interpretation or like even the papers that the food code are built on are not accessible uh, to uh, to individuals. And I, I'm, I, I understand your um, your comment about, um, mm. may, you know, maybe not, um, you know, not going into the plus one 2016 and looking at some uh some data and, and being able to sh put that into interpretation but it's but it's more it's I, to me it's deeper than that it's it seems like that you know in a science-based system in that which is what we want our regulatory bodies to have that they should at least have be able to have access to that science um that well well, and I, and I can tell you that I think things are changing. I know it's definitely changing at my university is that we are now required when a paper is accepted, we are required to post the, the PDF copy, the, the, the non, non, uh, page proof set copy. We are required to post that on a university server now. Oh, um, that's yeah. Fantastic. So it's, 
it, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Now if I just could find the time and wouldn't be so lazy and, and could work that into my workflow to do, it would be great. But but yeah, theoretically, that 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 is what we were supposed to be doing, which is good. And that's going to help. Um, hopefully it won't put the journals out of business and, and hopefully it will help people that really need to, uh, that really need to, uh, to, 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 to see this stuff. So, huh, that's, that's really good. We don't, we don't have that. Um, but well, how does that work? Okay. So how does that work? Copyright wise? Like I have no idea. Yeah. Cause if you're, I have no idea. and and so you say that it's the non page proof, like this is the submission, I, Version. Right. No. Well, it's it's the it's the final accepted version. And in fact, props props to ASM for on my five second rule. Like when when because that's not going to come out until like November or October in in AEM. But they posted a version. The the, the basically they post a version um, that's that's my that's the raw PDF with line numbers and everything. They or page numbers. You know whatever the 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 non non set version. Um, they post that right away and they made that particular paper available because they knew it would get some, some news attention. And so people could read it if they wanted to, but, but what, so, so, but what are the, what, what is the legal loophole for the university? I don't know. Uh, I can look and see what the language is on the, on the, on the server if it's, if it's there, but there's obviously university lawyers have vetted this. So it's gotta be legal. At least they think it will withstand legal challenge. I, um, good. That's, that's fantastic. I hope that we, uh, we follow that uh, that as well. We um, so I, I'm submitting a paper today um, with uh, our good friends at uh, ARS, John Lachansky and Anna Portofet, and Katrina Levine, who uh, works uh, works for me, and uh, she's the lead author on this. And this is the first paper where um, we're putting up the full data set on a website and referencing it in the paper. And I, I'm, I'm really trying to like, so this is, it's kind of a different type of paper for us where we have, um, it's a, uh, a big survey, national, like online survey supplemented with focus groups. And so in, in there's no possible way to, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> to include the survey itself as an instrument into the paper. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit in a, in a table. It's just too big. And so we started um, my, you know, kind of made, made the decision to be like, okay, let's put it into the, um, we'll just, we'll just post it online and then put a URL say, if you want to go see the whole thing, here it is. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I have a, like, uh, in increased philosophy, especially when it comes to those instruments, as I review papers, it's really hard to, um, make decisions on the validity of an instrument. If you can't see the instrument. Um, and, and I think it's a little different from the microbiology world where you have accepted methodological, um, steps that, that you can reference in, when it comes to a survey, it's not, it's not that, um, it's not that clean. There's no standards. So I, I really want to start posting this stuff. So, so people can like, I, I, I feel like it's important that, that it, it, for someone to evaluate the work that we did, they need to see how we built the um, the instrument and not just sort of trust it. Well, and from from my world, I would say there's two things. Number one, um, we we need to the the people that study microbial growth and microbial death need to in foods need to do a better job of sharing raw data. Um, 
for, and again, there's a way to do that through the Combase uh, database, right? But right. but again, it's not, I, and I really had hoped that we would get to the place where, and again, we see this with um, with genetic information, right? Like there now, if you, if you are going to post a sequence, if you have sequence data in your manuscript, you have to post that um, on some sort of a server. I would love to get us to get to the point where if you have microbial growth or microbial death data, you have to post that um, to, to Combase. And I, I, sadly, I don't think there's uh, an in incentive that's going to make that happen. But the other place where it, it most definitely needs to happen is um, for quantitative microbial risk assessment, right? Because you need to be able basically to look at somebody else's code um, to to evaluate, potentially to evaluate their findings. And, and again, it's just... It's not really to that point uh, where where we can do that yet, and in fact, there's different you know different languages and different ways of doing that. But again, it that and and ultimately that ends up being supplemental data. But but it would be great if we had easy ways to uh, easy ways to do that. But we're not we're not quite there yet. It's it seems like people are pretty guarded about it though. Right, like yeah, oh yeah, sure. Who, who, you want somebody looking at your code, looking at your raw data? My God, they might uncover a mistake or something. Right, right. I just, I don't like. I don't know. It, it feels like it, 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 um, by not posting it, um, it, it or not. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. But, but by fighting the posting of it, it kind of taints the science in a way to me. Right, like. And and I I get how competitive this this stuff is, but it's just like if if it's not in the peer reviewed uh, literature, it didn't happen. I I want to I want to be able to see the data. I want to be able to see how you made your your decisions. And and that's I mean increasingly that's one of my um, most common um, reviewer comments. Uh, you know I I'm happy to see these tables but i really i want to know how you got to that point because the tables look great but did the did the instrument really ask the questions that you're going to ask or or whatever um so i don't know i hope yeah well and, and I, I i agree in principle that that we we should be able to do all these things and as a reviewer and as a guy who spends a fair amount of time or who has his students spend a spare spend a fair amount of time extracting data from the literature. Um, it would be so great if we had access to that raw data. So I completely support it and, and, and enthusiastically endorse it like 100%. But at the same time, as a guy who now you're going to make me go through extra steps and you're going to expose me to a level of scrutiny that I right. find uncomfortable. I mean, I, I get that we, you need to do it right. But I also get that I also get why people are resistant to that because, because that just, it's just, it's hard enough to publish papers and now you're going to add this extra layer of scrutiny and then potentially, uh, the reviewers are going to look at this raw data and could they, I mean, could they, could, could they could, I mean, I guess they could scoop you already, but, but I mean, th so there's really, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people, legitimate reasons why people would be upset about this. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, I feel like it doesn't matter. Like we need to go forward with it anyway. It's kind of like we've talked about in the past, uh, making, uh, inspection data. It's, it's, it's scores on doors, yeah. right? It, yeah. It's, it's restaurant grade posting, right? It's, it's posting of, uh, NRs from meat and poultry inspected plants. Nobody wants their dirty laundry in public, but guess what? 
we need to have all that dirty laundry be in public because that's the only way we're going to learn and we're, the only way we're going to move forward is if we all have access to that data or at least that the, the benefits the benefits of making all of that available outweigh the the the, the downside at least in my opinion and I, and I think we're on the same page there yeah and and I hope maybe maybe it moves forward or maybe it doesn't maybe maybe it just um, so in your experience has it has it progressed over the last 20 you know over your career? Are people more willing to share this? Like, has has the internet made it more accessible and more um, realistic? That well, I think the inter internet has made it possible. Yeah. Like things that were not possible before are definitely possible now, but our brains haven't caught up with what the technology can do yet. Right. And so the, I think there's still, there are still psychological reservations that people have, but, but certainly the technology has made it easier than ever to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm. Um, Hey, so there's some old stuff that I want to talk to you about. Okay. Um, hepatitis A and smoothies. Oh boy. Oh, this is a good so one. So much to talk about. Yeah. This, this is a good one. This is, um, not unlike some of the conversations we've had, uh, as it relates to frozen vegetables. Uh, but all right. So to set the stage here, we've got over a hundred, I think it's like over 120 illnesses now, um, in largely, um, centralized in the Virginia um, uh, area of the United States. Uh, there are a couple of um, illnesses in North Carolina. There are a couple of illnesses, I think, in Tennessee. Uh, but largely a bunch of people um, got sick uh, from uh, hepatitis A that was coming from um, frozen strawberries at, I believe it is smoothie... Smoothie King, Smoothie World. Let me find out. You remember? Remember where it's coming from? Tropical Smoothie Cafe. There it is. Okay. Um, and so here's here's the thing. Um, frozen strawberries are ready-to-eat foods. Strawberries mm -hmm. are hand-harvested. Uh, then they're frozen. And uh, there's really no possible kind of kill step at all uh, when you're making a smoothie because they are uh, not heat treated ever. And that's a I think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 this keeps coming up again and again, right? Like I don't like I get I get why people get sick, right? Uh, because if you've got hep A or norovirus for that matter in frozen berries, I get why people get sick. What I don't get is why this problem seems to come up again and again, right? Like, so I guess it's worker hygiene in these places. Um, but they're like, why, why is it always viruses, right? Why are there no other organisms associated with this? Is it that viruses are especially resistant to freezing? And if you get salmonella or E. coli in frozen berries, it will die off over time because of the, 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 the temperature and the acidity. Um, like what, what is it that makes this? Cause it, cause it comes up again and again, frozen berries, viruses, 
right? And so what is unique about that combination? And maybe, again, maybe it's just, maybe it's just that there's a couple of bad actors um, in the industry in certain regions of the world where maybe there's less good trace back and maybe it's the same, it's the same operations causing the problems, but because of trace back, we can't triangulate. I, I just, it just, it seems like there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing to me. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like why viruses, um, and why not some other, some other pathogen. And in, in fact, it's not like berries haven't been, uh, only associated with viruses. Like if we look at the fresh market berries, right, we've seen, um, uh, cyclospora associated with, uh, berries we've seen giardia um you know largely like water uh related um issues but i i guess i mean if we look back at the other frozen um uh berry mix uh hepe outbreak that we had in 2014 that was linked to pomegranate seeds um, right. you know we've got two products that are hand harvested and are um Probably, uh, you know, both come, you know, the, um, pomegranate seeds were from Turkey and, uh, these, uh, strawberries are from Egypt, uh, and bo both areas that, uh, where hepatitis A is much more common. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess mm. it's a hand hygiene issue, I guess. Well, and it, and yeah, and it, well, and it could be too. It's like that. So it's very common in that area. There may be asymptomatic carriers. Again, I'm, I'm outside my expertise here. There may be asymptomatic carriers, um, and maybe it's only when it comes to a uh, immunologically naive population like the U.S., where we don't have hepatitis A antibodies, um, that we are more likely to get sick from this. So maybe it's a it's a developing world or and developed world issue. Um, but why? I'm um, certainly some of these Hep A berries are going to Europe, and I've got to think that there are people that wouldn't. I mean, are there outbreaks? Well, you know, and is there something unique about the United States, right? Or maybe they don't eat frozen berries in Europe. I, you know, what's the, I don't know. There's just, like I said, there's just, it's, it's, it seems to me like there's just still something missing here. Right, right, right. Um, well, yeah. And, and why is it, so is it a, is it geographical? Because I mean, frozen berries, if we look, we, we've tracked this on, uh, um, on barf blog for a while, frozen berries in like Scandinavia seem to have an issue with norovirus. Mm. Um, and I don't know. So here's the part that, that we don't know is, yeah, here we go. There's Swedish frozen berry hepatitis outbreak from 2013. Um, if what we don't know, um, is where those berries are coming from. Like, is, is it more like, are they more likely to get frozen, frozen berries from some of these more endemic cafe areas. But this is big, like this is big in a sense that you've got over a hundred illnesses uh, from it. And, and I did, um, I did a interview with live science, which I think is Yahoo news's science blog or something. I don't know who they are. Live science uh, on this where the headline became, uh, maybe you should cook your frozen berries. Um, mm -hmm. because I mean, you and I have talked about this and we've shared the, uh, conversation with, uh, Doug a couple of times, um, about this. And, uh, I really do, um, we buy frozen berries and I cook them first and then I refreeze mm -hmm. them if I'm going to put them in a, um, 
in a smoothie. And I don't do it I just in my whole risk management decision. I don't do it for hepatitis A because I have a hepatitis A shot. I do it mm-hmm. for norovirus reasons. And <laughs> so, so, um, uh, the, you know, the conversation that I had with uh, Sarah Miller, who uh, uh, conducted my interview, um, she really wanted to know, well, how might uh, hepatitis A get into berries? And so we talked about irrigation water. And we talked about hand hygiene. And then uh, she said, so what should people do? And I was like, I don't know what people should do, but this is what I do. Uh, and I said that I uh, microwave them and make sure that they get above 200 degrees. And I don't even know how effective that is based on the the data that's out there. But I also said that it might be overkill. And then, then it got picked up to, you should all, everyone should cook your frozen berries before you eat them. Huh. So, so I don't know. Um, but here, here's the other thing uh, that I think has come up. When you go to Tropical Smoothie King or you go to Smoothie, you know, S- Smoothie Sensation or um smoothie smoothie planet whatever the your favorite smoothie place is um uh everything that goes in that smoothie uh might you know is i think that people have a perception that it's been heat treated before it got in there i think that there's a perception that berries are heat treated before they're frozen well, or or there's a perception that the berries are safe, right? right? I mean, that they don't have hepatitis A treatment. Yeah. I I if I buy if I go to the store and I buy berries that and they're frozen, I'm going to assume that those are already teed food and they are free of pathogens, right? I, that's a that's just a, what a normal person would think, and that like that's probably what I think. And I I think I guess if I ate more frozen berries and I was closer to the news as you are, I would maybe modify my practice, but I don't eat that many frozen berries. Although we do, we do eat, we've eaten a lot of blueberries over the years, but those were all ones that we picked ourselves. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I should probably be more careful then. <laughs> Dom, we all make our own risk, risk management decisions. This is true. Hey, so I have. Uh, are you done talking about berries? Because I do have information on um, the uh, scholarly open access at Rutgers. Oh, uh, so breaking for, news! Well, live update. Live Apparently, apparently the the Senate was charged. The Rutgers Senate was charged to investigate this in the fall of 2011. But so so basically, what makes it possible is the internet the internet did you know about the internet i've heard about the what makes it interwebs what makes it pot it's not like a dump truck you can't just dump stuff on it it's a series of tubes series of tubes Um, what makes it possible is the internet and the consent of the author Um, in most fields scholarly journals do not pay authors who can therefore consent to open access without losing revenue um, uh, apparently our peers in this are Harvard, MIT, University of California, Duke, Rice, uh, uh, University of Kansas. Wow. Okay. Those um, are all the best ones. 
all the best all the best ones. Yeah. Um, and so there are there are two roads. I don't know if you know this, Ben. There are two roads to open access. There is the gold road, which is to publish in an open access journal. Now, it is called the gold road, Ben, because it takes gold <laughs> to publish in an open access journal. <laughs> is that what it says? Is that is that what it that, says? No, here? That, that's oh. my that's my editorializing. Um, <laughs> and then there is the green road, uh, which is you know I have then I will link to the PDF and there's I I would much rather walk down the green road is a much prettier looking road. Um, uh, the green road is self-archived in a repository. Okay. And so we have now created this institutional repository um, where uh, we we can, uh, we can, in fact, not can, we are required um, to uh, to publish. So uh, there wow. you go. It was, took a little bit of time to find it, um, but uh, but it does, it does let us uh, basically make everything available uh, via open access. And so uh, I should do this because then whenever everybody, whenever anyone emails me for a reprint, I can just say, hey, you should go get it yourself. It's right here. It's right there. Yeah. Go, go check it out. Um, that is fantastic. I will, um, I, I may take, could you forward that to me so I could take that to my college research council, which I you could sit on. And so, cause I think it's a good idea and maybe this will be me being proactive on something, uh, for, for once. I would, I would, okay. I will look, Good. I will, yeah, uh, I think I'm going to, I like this. I like it. Um, oh, Don, I have a horrible cough. I'm sick, by the way. I don't know if you oh, can tell. I, you know, you, you, you sound okay and you have not coughed once that I heard. Oh, so I'm, you're doing a good job fighting it. Yeah. I'm all over the, uh, 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 microphone muting. Uh, I have been ill since Monday night and I can't shake it. Oh. Can't shake this feeling, which I think is an, oh 80s man. Song. Yeah. It's awful. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's not your fault. It's I'm sure it's the Zika or Chigenkina or uh, or just well, the rhinovirus. It's, well, there there was there was a woman on the air, airplane on the airplane by airplane. I mean train. A woman on the train next to me yesterday coming back from D.C. and she was coughing a lot. And I really hope I don't get sick from her. And also, Ben, I really hope you don't bring whatever creeping crud you have with you to uh new mexico because i don't want to get sick i do not want to still have this uh when i <laughs> when i see you next week um hey speaking of trains in in new jersey did you see like one had a big crash in hoboken was that your train that you were on yesterday no so i i saw that i was i was at my actually uh, uh now we're we're delving into to personal yeah. personal stuff uh which is good because we we didn't do too much of that at the beginning so i was at my last my very last physical therapy appointment for my wrist um, which i broke yeah but well but now i'm gonna go starting not next week because i'm out of town but the following week i'm gonna start doing physical therapy for my shoulder because i have a torn rotator cuff, which uh, my surgeon, my, my wrist surgeon thinks I may have torn it in the fall that broke my wrist. And so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start doing physical therapy for my shoulder, but I was at my last physical therapy for my wrist and they have a television there and uh, it was all over the TV news. So no, that, uh, crash in Hoboken was a New Jersey transit train, um, which runs on the same tracks as Amtrak. I, I will sometimes take New Jersey transit if I'm going into New York city, but, um, um, generally, I am taking Amtrak. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but and related, one of the guys I met, I spent some time uh, with dinner at dinner with um, uh, at this meat and poultry dialogue. His wife works for Amtrak, and apparently, Am, it's a Amtrak is a fascinating organization. They are basically mostly just 
like most of the value is from real estate, the real estate that they that they own, um, the right of ways and the tracks. Anyways, fa- and then there then there were some guys who I should have been sitting next to next to instead of the coughing woman, um, uh, who are who basically work for Amtrak and they were all talking about all sorts of Amtrak stuff. And then at one point they were talking about the the, the apps on their phones that help them measure their sleep. And I'm like, oh my god, can oh. I come sit with you guys? Because you sound awesome. <laughs> You're like that's it sounds like you know Merlin right now. Yeah. Exactly. Oh man. Oh, that's funny. Um so I spent a bunch of time on on flights uh in the last little while as I opened up with with my uh poop story and I am almost fully caught up on season 2 of Mr. Robot and I know we haven't talked about this for a month but you have to watch this show. If you've not watched Mr. Robot, you need to go Drop everything uh, now, Don. Go drop. Ju- stop. Mm. Start. Start now. It's so good. Okay. It is so good. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. It's good. I know it's good. I've been told it's good. And I just type Mr. Robort into my internet. Don't don't watch Mr. Robort. Mr. Robort, I think, is that unfortunately is a, it's a very slow show about a high school gym teacher. Um, <laughs> go watch Mr. Robot. <laughs> And see this shocking season two finale. I, I don't tell me. Just, spoiler, no spoilers. I, I don't know. It just that's what the internet says. It oh. says uh, on the Mister Robot page. It says new season coming twenty seventeen. And see the shocking season two point oh finale. I, I I don't know what happens. Maybe there's maybe it's the Russians. Okay. That's the that's the answer. It's always it's always the Russians. Um, ah. Oh. So yeah, I was I've been I've been watching a lot of that. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I've been I'm all up to date on Roderick on the line. Like I've 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 gone mm. back to like episode 185 or something. So I'm I'm pretty much I I cannot go back further than that cuz it does get a little bit dated. Um what else what else have I been watching? Um that's about it. I've been I don't know. I've been sick. Well, I you know it- I have been – I was – for a long time, I was really behind on podcasts, and then um, I started uh, like trying to – basically had a bunch of driving to do and, and a bunch of you – know, I just sort of try to like put more more time, like make more dedicated podcast listening time, which worked great until I got all caught up on all of my podcasts. And then I'm like, well, shoot. Now what am I going to listen to? Um, and so what I started listening to again um, – is I am, and I, I guess this is this is the first public announcement of this, Ben. Um, I am rededicating myself to uh, getting things done. Ooh! And so I bought. Uh, so so David Allen re-released uh, his classic 2001 book, um, and I got it on audio, uh, on using uh, using Audible, and I am re-listening to that, and I've rededicated myself to uh, getting things done. So, anyway, uh, if you don't know about getting things done, it's it's pretty good. You should uh, buy the book and read it, and then. You should be productive. Um, or you're not saying that to me because I know about getting. Oh no, I'm on. saying that to, to our the, listeners. Yeah. I know you know, and you, you're you're probably a getting things done professional. Well, but you know, you know, so you not omnipotent and everything, right? But you gave me the like as soon after we started this podcast, <laughs> you sent me a copy of Getting Things Done. That oh, uh, how about that? Yeah, it was what, awesome. a, what a guy am. Yeah, it was. You're a mensch. That's what uh, <laughs> or something or something. Um. I don't know, Don. I'm hitting a, a wall where I think I need to go get, drink some Dayquil, which might lead to a fully different type of podcast. Uh, oh, and you have a hard out too. I do, I do. 
Um, so shall we? Uh, what do you think? Shall we call this? Shall we call this a show? Do you? Have, is there anything else I, you want to talk about? I think this is a show, Ben. I, I think it's a show. This is. Oh, oh no! Wait, there was oh, one other oh, thing. Oh, oh, oh! Do you know what I wanted to talk about? You know what my favorite thing to do at the end of our shows is, right? Sing it's, me a song. No, it's to go back through all of the. Um, oh yes, our, our yes. reviews and. Yes. I sent you an amazing review. You let me, did. Let me find it. Let me find it because it was so good. Yeah. So with, this is something that we – so while you look for it, I let me it. let me yes. just pimp our podcast a little bit. So um, one of the things that we love to hear from is our, our readers. And there's lots of ways that – our readers, of, of people who read our podcast. Read the, podcast. the people yeah. that listen, not so much, but the ones that get the written transcript and actually read it, those we want to hear from. So um, – but no, seriously, um, we do like it when people leave us reviews of the podcast in iTunes. It's a great way to, uh, to help us learn what you like and also it helps other people who might be interested find the show. And so um, uh, we do like it when you do that and so you can go ahead and, and leave us a review in itunes and, and ben is going to uh read us um a recent excellent review the most recent review um which which was um hu uh, uh, humbling okay so here we go this is a great podcast they mix in pop culture and food science and this is from uh, a review a five-star review from food science fun um, they mix in pop culture and food science throughout the episode. I work in food safety and enjoy their real-world examples of issues facing both regulators and the industry. I started the first episodes available and have been working to the current episodes. I'm only at 84, so I have about 30-plus episodes to get through. And I mean, so so much good stuff to come. Um, the only downside is that the episodes are over an hour and a half, so it will take me a while to catch up. The food safety and risk assessment are scattered throughout, so it took me a while to love the format since I came into this just looking for a food safety resource, and here it is. This is the kicker. Now, all the other podcasts seem kind of boring because of the way yes. they do it. We're, yes. Yeah, all of the other reindeer. All of the other podcasts seem kind of boring. On a side note. So here's the, here's the thing. If you, have a, if you have a lot of time and you don't care about getting information concisely, this is your food safety podcast. If you want a very concise and focused podcast, um, let me suggest that you listen to some of the government podcasts, which are unlistenable. Right, right, because they would be very concise uh, to, the, to nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, now all the other podcasts seem kind of boring. It's true. Excellent. It's true. Uh, well, on that uh, – I will uh, I will say I will bid you adieu, adieu. That's my French accent for today. Adieu, adieu to you and to you and you and you. Excellent, very. Do good. you know what that's a reference to? That is uh, sound of music. Uh, sound of music, very good. Straight, straight up from sound of music, uh, I got it. Um, I believe. Uh, yep, yeah, that's that's all I got. Um, this has been uh, food safety talk, uh, and uh, Don, I will uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Cool, cool. Um, farewell. farewell. Say goodbye. I'm sorry. I'm singing along uh, to the internet again. Avita's. Cut that out. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Um, hey, do you know one of them? Liesl died a week ago. I did see something about that. Yeah. That's sad. It, it was. We all go, Don. We all go. Mm. Um, Liesl, Liesl Frank. No, that's a different person. It's not. Uh, she was a Dutch uh, Dutch actress, singer, dancer, and actress before World War. No, uh, Czech Republic, not Dutch. Different person. Um, all right. So I've got this, and it's split into two because I had my little yep. meltdown. So that's no yep. problem. Um, could we? When should we do this again? That's a good question. Um, so next week is too soon. Uh, I've got pretty good availability the following week. Um, uh, how's how's Monday the tenth for you? Uh, should be good. Monday the tenth should be good. Yeah, it's actually pretty pretty good. That's that's my best day that week. Cool. Um, what time? Uh, let's go with. Let's can we try a morning like ten thirty or something like that? Mm, that no, nope. uh, that well, uh, only if it can push because that is my first, um, my, my first uh, PT for your shoulder um, session for my shoulder. Uh yeah. So what you're you're so, early um, or yeah, well, my the session goes from nine to ten. Okay. Um, but but I don't know. Uh, so probably I couldn't start before 11. 11 would be fine. I have, um, I have to test some pH of, uh, products at the state fair, but I can't get there until noon, uh, at the okay. earliest. So we probably wouldn't go until one o'clock anyway. So if we went 11 till one, um, that would be awesome. And, and I'm okay. flexible. Cool. Like it, if we don't, if we don't start until 1130, that's totally cool. Okay, good. No, it shouldn't be. It, it I should because, like I said, it it shouldn't it shouldn't take more than an hour. But then there's travel time, and right. and then they do sometimes run late. So yeah, totally. FST recording. Got it. Got it. Um, cool. Yeah. If you can shoot me any of the links, then I will. Uh, will do. I'll put yep. this up today. I'm. Uh, okay. I'm, awesome. I'm all. We're. I'm all caught up on. Well, not really, but. Um, but like I'm feeling, I'm feeling on top of things right now. Good. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Other than, uh, I might be, I might be dying, but, <clears throat> but I also might be dramatic. So I'm unsure which one well, of those is more true. It's probably. Well, you sound okay, and you did a, you did a great job with the cough button. So I, was, I, yeah. I hope I feel better before you gotta go to New Mexico. I hope so too. This is, I feel better this afternoon. Um, compared to yesterday i so i was doing this workshop and it had been on the books forever so i'm i was just out there existing driving around western north carolina with uh some child nutrition directors yesterday uh, oh, cool. it was great uh i wish i'd felt better uh, oh yeah and then i had yeah. to drive home and it was like four hours from Asheville back here and uh oh oh so funny um uh since this is after dark it's the perfect time to talk about mm -hmm. it. the mm -hmm. farmer that uh that we were visiting, uh, didn't, mm -hmm. you know, didn't know that who I was or not that I'm anybody, but didn't know that I was, um, 
you know, uh, had a PhD from the, and I was at NC State. Uh, and then he went off on uh, telling the child nutrition directors about how all these people with PhDs don't really know how the real world works. And then all the child nutrition directors <laughs> thought that was hilarious because I was standing right beside him. Um, and, uh, and he said at the end of it, you're okay, even for a PhD. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's good. that. I like, I like that. Uh, okay for a PhD. Yeah. Okay for a PhD. It's not bad. Uh, it was good. It was a fun day. We did it. It was a good day. Um, cool. All right. So I think we got that all straightened out. Uh, oh, so how, what, what do you do in travel wise? When do you get in on next week? Tuesday, I assume. What, how are you getting from El Paso to Las Cruces? Are you driving? Are you hitchhiking? Oh, okay. That's cool. James Dean style. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I am. I have a rental car, and you're and I going by yourself. You're not uh, uh, car. I, I have a rental car. I have shared my details with the powers that be, and I have not been told that I am riding. I am giving anyone a ride. So I I have tossed my information into the interwebs, and I re- await a response. Cool. I also have a rental car because I have to leave Thursday relatively early. Oh, me too. Oh. What time are you leaving on? What time's your flight on Thursday? That's a good question. Let me look. Um, <coughs> excuse me. No, uh, no dump button there. Um, my Delta, my trips. El Paso, eleven thirty-two. Oh, wow. Quite early. Yeah. Like I had to leave, like I'll have to leave at like eight o'clock or something from Las Cruces. Mm. And what, what time does your flight get in? Uh, oh, wait, sorry. That's on, that's when I'm leaving on Thursday. Is that what you asked? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That's what I asked. Okay. But not, now I want to know when you get in. I get in at 3.32 on Tuesday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I yeah, I, I, I don't get until five and my flight out is not until, till one. So it wouldn't, uh, yeah, wouldn't make sense for us to, to carpool. So no. We'll go on our own. We'll go our own, yeah. own way, just like um, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, we start with Bachman Turner Overdrive. We end with Fleetwood Mac. And before that was Sound of Music. And Sound of Music. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of singing today. A lot of it's good. Okay, well I'm gonna go. Um, I will. Okay. Uh, I will talk to you uh, shortly. I will see you on okay. Tuesday. Yeah, and the only thing I will say is that it looks like uh, with the upgrade to macOS Sierra, the tool that I have for quickly collecting the links um, is broken. No. And so, uh, well, I I don't know. Maybe there's an update. I will go. I will go uh, follow up and see if I can find it. But um, so it may be a bit of a delay, and the links may not look the way that you are accustomed to them looking. But I will. I will get you the links in the Dropbox today. That's cool. Yeah. As, as long as I mean, even if it's just a series of URLs, I can deal with it. Yep. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Don. Okay. Bye. Bye.